Sunflower Podcast is your go-to podcast for entrepreneurship and business strategy. This is the Sunflower Podcast. Welcome back to Sunflower Podcast. My name is Andrew Olson. I'm your host here, here with Rob Ryan. Rob, it's always good to be with you. Great to be here. And, uh, you know, Rob, we finished up the wannabe um, section of uh, your book last week um, on the podcast. And this week, I really wanted to dive into a concept you call, you know, do the dogs like the dog food? Um, what does that phrase mean? So do the dogs like the dog food is probably the most fundamental thing in entrepreneurship. You know, your dog food is whatever your service or product is that you're proposing, you know, to inflict on the world, you know. And have you done enough work uh, to verify that anybody will actually pay for that? Uh, I mean, ultimately, if they like something, people pay for something. If they really, really like it, um, they're actually pulling you to get it quicker and quicker. Um, If they're just being kind to you and listening to, whatever you think they're supposed to like, they'll listen. Most people listen for a short period of time, uh, but they wouldn't pay for anything like that. Um, they're just more or less listening to get you out of the, uh, you know, the room. Right, um, right. So you got to think of it in really kind of fundamental ways. I mean, you're, you're producing some sort of little dog food. And when you open that can, you put it out in the dish, the, the, the dogs come in, are charging to it and they're killing themselves to get at it or they're just sniffing at it and sort of walking away um, like they had already eaten when they really haven't re- already eaten. Um, or they sniff at it a little bit and they pick at it, but it's not any, any great interest um, in it. You have a great interest in it because that's the reason you built it, but it doesn't necessarily mean anybody else has any great interest in it. So Andrew, you've seen that also in your own small business. Um, You've tested whether dogs like the dog food. Yeah. And, you know, in my small little toy company that I have, um, you know, I've made mistakes early on um, where I didn't test whether the dogs like the dog food. And, you know, I produced hundreds of, of, of toys and they wouldn't sell. And so I learned early on that that's really important to do market research, but not only market research, but to talk with your customers, talk with your potential customers. It's one thing for them to say, yeah, that's a cool product. It's another thing to ask them, okay, would you write me a check right now for it? Um, And you'll learn, you know, very quickly whether or not your product is good enough to sell in the marketplace. Um, In your book, you give a really great example of an older company uh, called Netcracker. Uh, do you want to walk us through? Sure. So Netcracker is old, but it, it'll serve as an example. It was uh, founded by a father-son. Uh, and the father-son combination were from Russia, from Moscow. Uh, they were Americanized for sure. They were in Boston. Uh, the son was uh, Harvard trained out of an MBA. 
and the father uh, was kind of running the technical aspects of the. And when I met them, they showed me a product that was a very large in color with beautiful graphics running on, um, I don't remember what it was running on, uh, on, uh, on a computer. I'm not sure it was a PC, but it was running on a computer as, uh, as a, a representation of the networking equipment, mine, for example, a SIMS inside the internet. So literally it, they could show me my box called the Max with all, all of its, you know, uh, we had versions of the Max with different cards. And I was like sort of blown away at the fidelity of what they had done in terms of the simulation. Um, but then my very first question is, this is incredibly pretty and incredibly nice. Um, what am I supposed to do with it? And who's buying this and for what purpose? Three questions. All of those questions are disguised as do the dogs like the dog food, right? Right. And the answers came back, well, not so much. They had never had a very big year. The largest revenue year, I think, had was a couple of hundred thousand dollars, you know, revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and when I asked a few more questions, I discovered that they had a lot of very good Russian engineers that were scattered all around Moscow and other cities in Russia. They were well-trained in engineering and mathematics, but they were all toiling away on this can of dog food, right? The simulator. Um, for not, not as much money as you would pay a, a PhD in Boston, that's for sure, like probably mm. only a fraction, um, but it seemed to be wasted toil. Uh, I said that to the father and he went away disgruntled. And a couple of months later, the son uh, called, he had, I guess, graduated from Harvard and referred back to my conversation with his dad, where I may have used the word moron um, <laughs> several times, uh, only referring to his product concept, not him, uh, personally. Per and, you know, the funny part was, he agreed that it was moronic that, you know, what they were spending their time on. And we agreed, he and I, that, you know, we could, I'd get together with him the next time in Boston and see if we liked each other and whether I would want to help him. Well, we did. And I did help him. And we reimagined his core competencies into another area that same program that he was using as a simulator became the basis for carriers or ISPs using it as a inventory database. They could actually see what, what equipment they had out in their network. They could see how it was configured and they could see everything they wanted about it. Obviously we had to scale the program right. a lot from where it was, but we took that competency, that dog food, if you will, and we added quite a bit. And we didn't do the engineering on it. What he did is really intelligent. He did 
a walkabout into the dogs. He took the concept of repositioning and walked about into the into independent telephone companies. He literally said, I'm going to take this idea and I'll, I'm going to go out for two weeks and talk to independent telcos and to see if there's any interest whatsoever in this reposition that we had done. And lo and behold, in two weeks, he came back and he had gotten the largest order in the history of the company. I don't remember exactly, but a 20 or $30 million uh, contract. Wow. wow. Um, and he was in business, you know, he was in completely different business. We had taken his core competencies and refashioned it into a different product, which he had to add more abilities. Yeah, I think, you know, that's the great thing about sunflowers. You have to be really honest with yourself and, you know, really humble yourself into uh, getting good feedback from people like you or, you know, your customers or other mentors. Do you have a really good, you know, way to way to self-check yourself with what you call Rob's quality dog food test? And I would love to go through a couple of these questions today um, and talk about uh, how you can ask yourself if your product is going to sell or if, you know, if the dogs like the dog food. So the first uh, question you ask is about your idea. You say, you know, is your idea sufficiently developed to have customers? Um, and if it is, you know, that's a 10. If not, um, then it's a one. So why don't you, okay. you expound upon that a little bit? Yeah, so a lot of people have ideas. They're more or less like belly buttons. Everybody has one. But is it, is it sufficiently developed? And the Netcrackers example, they had a, an idea. The idea was for a network simulator. Did they have it developed? Yes, they had it developed. They could actually show it on, on a computer screen. They actually had people paying for it. I, not a lot of money came in per year, so they... They more or less were a consulting service uh, company uh, mm -hmm. to whomever was buying it. So that was definitely not a 10 on a scoring one to 10, but it wasn't a one either because they actually had a, a representation. In that particular case, using Netcracker, I didn't like the idea. You know, It was less than a five scored. Um, it was like a three. Um, yeah. No, I'm not that excited. In fact, I'm totally unexcited uh, by it. But notice I wasn't unexcited about their competencies. I was unexcited about that product. So how does a person further develop their idea or sufficiently develop an idea to become a 10 and to get out of the threes and you know the below fives? Well, again, these are... Great questions. Okay. Uh, the idea in the case of the network simulator had a number of floors. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's complicated to do uh, and complex to do, but it kind of hits a narrow, narrow niche, right? The niche is you have to be building networks and you would want to have to simulate um, the use of the networking equipment that was available. Well, 
okay, well, why wouldn't you just buy some of the network equipment from the network guys and put a small network together and you wouldn't have to simulate anything. You would actually just run it, which is exactly what they did do, right? They bought a handful and they would test. Um, so the, the concept of, in terms of the availability of the market, the idea didn't have a, a very available market. Secondly, the idea wasn't transforming anything from kind of an old way of doing something to a much better and more elegant way. It wasn't doing any of those things. Um, it was a whole lot of work for them to implement, by the way. It was not a trivial exercise for them to implement what they, they had um, by any stretch. And third, uh, for me, anytime somebody talks about, you know, simulators and stuff like that, uh, I, my head just sort of turns off because I'm, I'm not into the mode of simulating. I, I'm into the mode of actually, I would have bought the real life things and tested. Um, right. Well, that was great. And, you know, the next question you coin in your dog food test is that of customers and you know, is the idea aimed at paying customers? Yeah, so cut everything in business to me is, is about customers uh, and paying customers. Now, in the case of Netcracker, they did have customers, okay, a handful of customers that weren't paying very much. So they get a, they get a score here of not a one, they get a score of you know three or four points. Um, they had a handful of customers that weren't paying very much. What you're looking for is a lot of customers want something. And by the way, they want it so bad that they're not that price sensitive to it. They do have caps on what they'll pay right. and stuff. Uh, and if you're and the competition is low because it's pretty hard for you to do. I mean, that's sort of the ideal, right? But at least you should know what the ideal is. If you're, if you're building a product and it has a very small opportunity, um, you can't charge very much for it. And there's only a handful of people that would want to, want to look at it. That's, unless it's a passion for you for some reason, that's a lot of work for very little return. Right. You know, next in your test is all about money. And, you know, yeah. is it clear on how the business is going to make money now and not 10 years from now? Yeah. And a lot of people might be offended by the fact that I say it's about money because not everything can needs to be about a money. You could mm -hmm. have nonprofit things and so on. But I'm really focused on entrepreneurial startups that are in business and the measurement system there is money um, uh, and again sometimes uh, many entrepreneurs uh, don't have a very clear path to how they make money that that means a couple of things they don't understand we'll get into this a little later uh, what how it saves or makes money for the customer. They don't understand that. Mm -hmm. So if you don't understand if it saves or makes money for the customer, then 
in my opinion, you don't understand how to price the product. If you don't understand how to price the product, you're either more than likely underpricing it if it does actually have true value uh, and you didn't understand the value portion of it, then you're underpricing it. Or if you think that it has greater value than the customer thinks, then you're overpricing it and nobody wants it. Um, so the whole aspect of understanding, how do you deliver this? Why are they paying money for it? Answering the question, why would somebody pay money for this thing? Um, and if you can't answer that, uh, and if there are 40 other competitors to you that look almost identical to you, why would they pay money for your version right. you know, of this? Which is another sin. Entrepreneurs sometimes are not the most uh, creative of sorts. Um, so they copy. Um, but they copy and they change, right? They, they change something. But you know, is it in my mind, the changes better be very, very big, uh, you know, orders of magnitude uh, big in terms of attractiveness to the, uh, to the customer. Yeah, and I think and, that goes back uh, to, you know, the value proposition of a company and why should anyone care about your product? Is your product going to save people money? Um, but, you know, is it better for startups to think about money in the short term or the long run? Of course, you know, they can't be profitable or revenue generating from the get-go. Um, and they may not have, you know, an outstanding product until, you know, two or three years from when they start. So is it a better for, for a startup to think about money in the short run or the long run do you feel? So I'm all about having a company get to money in the short run. Um, I think the discipline that's required out of a group of people to build something and to get customers to pay for it in a timely manner and to do so in a profitable manner in which you have more money coming in than you're actually spending is a non-trivial exercise for right. a team. Um, and so my goal is to get the team and myself to have gone through that as quickly as possible. In other words, to get to money as quickly as possible. I didn't mean investor money. I didn't mean venture money. I meant customer money, you know, revenue money. Um, and I think any of the better entrepreneurs think about getting to money, revenue money. Now, do, do I think about the long-term? Sure, but there, there isn't going to be a long-term if you don't have the short-term, right? Right. And to me, you're not a company if you're feeding off of investor money. Even if they give a lot of money, remember a lot of money comes with a lot of expectations. Um, and those expectations, if they're not fulfilled in a timely manner, leads to collapse. You, we've all seen that. Yeah. You know? yeah. uh, I prefer to put, if you think about an energy in the day and you have energy to give each day, I prefer to put my energy into getting a product and selling it than to flapping around, you know, trying to sell a concept to an, to investors. So I'm always short-term, get to the short-term money. <clears throat> That's great. You know, the next 
question you have is all about application and asking, you know, is there a clear business problem that this product solves? Yeah. Um, the, the key word there is business problem that somebody is willing to pay for. Uh, and not only willing to pay for it, but they're eager to pay for it because it's actually um, a sufficiently annoying problem that they need it solved. Um, there are problems you know, that people have that they say, yeah, that's not a big deal. We know that Microsoft or somebody's going to fix that two years from now. We're okay with that. You know, I'm talking about things that they they're in a mess right now and they can tell you how big a mess it is. In fact, they're happy to tell you if you're happy to listen, they'd be happy to tell you what a big mess they're in right now. If you hear that same messioso story from a lot of customers and this it's, it's sounds like exactly the same story, then you're onto something. Yeah, and I think, you know, I know my dad talks about this all the time. He advises a lot of entrepreneurs. And one of the first questions you, sh you should ask yourself if you're starting a company or launching a product is what problem does this solve? And if it doesn't solve any problem, then why should anyone care about it? If you're doing it just for the money, then you're probably in the wrong industry um, or doing the wrong job or having it, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur for the wrong reason. And I think the, you know, that leads perfectly into your next question, which is on uniqueness and really how unique a product is. And if it is, you know, extremely unique, rank yourself out of 10. Um, and if it's just merely a variation of an existing product, rank yourself as a one. So. So if you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneurial team and you're doing a variation and of some other product that's in the market and you, you know that that other product is, let's say, succeeding in the market. And in fact, there are 10 other guys that are in, in the market. Now you're the 11th person or the 15th person into the market. Then I would suggest, first of all, that's a path I would never go down, ever, okay? I, I'm the guy that travels the road less traveled, not the road that's you know had a herd, entire herd of cattle have gone down the, that, the other road. So, but if you're determined to go down the road with the herd of cattle, then you better be 10 to 100x better than the other guys. How, how better? Better in parameters and variables that the customer cares about. Um, you know, returning more money to the customer uh, faster by 100x is some parameter that they really, really care about. And I don't mean you're like 1.2 times better. I'm serious, 10 to 100 times better. Then, yeah, you have something where you might be able to have a dialogue with customers, even though there are you know, 10 other solutions that are already out there um, and they're already using one of them. Uh, I've, I tend to like to go down to the path where you're, the complexity of what you're doing um, is such that it's not easy for people to do. So a whole bunch of people don't jump on it. 
it takes a, a fair amount of time to, to do it uh, and a lot of really skilled people. And the customers, you know, want it. Um, and, you know, you deliver it event eventually, you've got, you've got something unique at that, at that point. Uniqueness gives you a couple of things. It gives you more time to sort out how you market it, how you sell it. It gives you more pricing elasticity, how you price it. Um, it just overall, uh, the, the more unique, but the dog still wants the dog food, not unique just for being unique, but nobody cares. Um, they still, you know, it was a very hard problem that you solved. And in solving it, you had to pull a whole lot of things together. And so, you know, other startups can't replicate this in two weeks time. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think it goes back to asking yourself, are you just a copycat? Are you a copycat of a copycat? Um, because if someone's already making money doing it, you know, there's less of a of a market for you to pull from uh, versus, you know, what you were doing with Ascend, where you're really the only company out there offering, uh, you know, the products and services that you did. And that's how you're able to corner the market. Um, but Rob, this has been a great, you know, introduction to do the dogs like the dog food. And I think we're going to leave it off here today, but pick this up next week on our next episode of Sunflower Podcast. Thank you all for listening today to Sunflower Podcast. My name is Andrew Olson. I've been here with Rob Ryan today talking about um, do the dogs like the dog food. Uh, if you have been enjoying listening to, you know, these podcasts, I encourage you to leave us a review wherever you're listening to this really helps us keep going forward. Give us your feedback, what you like, what you don't like about uh, these episodes that we're doing. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time.